Good morning. Welcome to Just Love, Season 2, Episode 3. I am Jennifer Parker, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, someone um, that I just recently met. I'm trying to, his name is Peter Welch. Hello, Peter. Hello, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm 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 doing great. Um, so we're we're in Maine mm-hmm. on a gray. It's it's a really weird morning though. It's not really cold. No, it's just gray and it's a little rainy driving over here. And you drove over from like two towns over, right? Yes, I We're live in Kittery Sun- Point, Maine. Oh, you're getting personal. <laughs> <laughs> so you drove from Kittery Point, Maine, which is where I lived for a while going to high school mm-hmm. and all the way to South Berwick, mm-hmm. which it's pretty far. Like people <laughs> like people have no like perception of the how big the towns are in Maine. Sure. Right? Yeah, it's about, it was about 25 minutes. 25 minutes to get here. And yeah. then like just our, our neighbor, New Hampshire, sometimes if you drive five minutes, you drive through the whole town. You're done. Yes, right. Maine, Maine geographically is pretty interesting. Yeah. But anyways, you're joining us today on an episode. Um, we're going to be talking about men and their mental health and well-being. Yes. And I had said to you, I said, Peter, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> and you yeah. came up with this. Yeah, yeah. I came up with this because I... Well, I think for, for a number of reasons, this is an important topic to me as a cisgender male living in the world, um, as a gay man living in the world. You know, I care about my own mental health. Um, I was born and raised in Maine, uh, lived in Wells, Maine, graduated in 1979 from high school there. Um, my family of six lived in a small house in Moody, Maine. My dad was a drinker. He was an alcoholic. And so my family dealt with that kind of Mm -hmm. mess. And my mom uh, worked full time. She was actually my first notion of what feminism was because she worked full time. And most of the moms on the street in the 1960s. Yeah, that wasn't common. It wasn't common. So she she that was a really good lesson that she taught me. Should um, we just say quickly that um, Harry and Ruby are in the room with us, sure. and that one's gnawing on a bone, so you might that might get picked up on the audio. I think I can hear Ruby. Yes, and they might jump up. They're both really sweet Bark. dogs, and, but they're both resting on the rug now. That's they nice. like you, but so Peter, you so alcoholism is a common thread in a lot of our stories, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So you grew up with that, but now what are you doing? Well, let's see. Um, my interest in men's health, aside from personal, I I was a health educator at UNH for 25 years. Um, began in 1990, that ended in 2015. Um, I became really curious about um, the the fact that we weren't seeing many men in the health center, and so started to do some research about men's health, and unfortunately discovered not a lot of good news about what's happening for men in the culture. We, um, if I can share some facts with you, that might be helpful. I don't, yeah, of course. Hopefully that's not too so, boring. But so the yeah. men's health center. So tell was, me what, so what it, so, or the health center in general, Yeah. I don't think I ever went in college. Yeah. Is it 
Is it for mental well-being? Is it physical well-being? Is it everything? Diet? Um, yeah, pretty much everything. I mean, they have a staff of nurses and doctors and pharmacists. Uh, there was a, a team of health educators, and I so I was one of those people that, that reached out to the college community to talk about, among other things, men's health. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, learn some things, man. Uh, what we what we know about men is that um, I think I want to tell my a little bit more of my story before we get into the yeah. Is that okay? I think, well, yeah. I think people like hearing the personal anecdotes. It's more relatable, I think, yes, sometimes than yes, just yes. like the hard facts. All right. So my family, I think, I think you know, in my early twenties, when I was coming out as a gay man, I was really understanding that my mental health was not where I wanted it to be. Um, I think I struggled with depression quite a bit in my early twenties. Um, I decided to go back to graduate school for a counseling degree, and so that helped me better understand my own interior life as a man, as well as learning how to help. When when did you know that you were gay? When? (laughs) No, I'm just very curious about that because. Sure. Um, You know, I think probably I've been asked this question a lot, believe it or not. Is it not? correct for me to no, ask no, it no, or no. is it no it's a great question is it an insult or no it's not an insult at all it's um i i think you know when i was a boy i had a sense of feeling different and i didn't really know what that difference was than this you know this is the 1960s in rural maine mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot going on there that was progressive or you know so uh, someone a few weeks ago asked me about role models and i said i, I didn't have role models this was 19 19- you know, in my teens, 1970s in Maine, there weren't any gay people that were out there or then. And so you kind of find your way. And that's that's some of what I did in my early 20s. I was I was looking, you know, like, like all of us, I was trying to figure out who I was at that time. I went to graduate school. I ended up um, starting therapy in my mid-20s, which was honestly, when I look back, the best thing that I ever did for my own well-being. I found a therapist in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Tom Reno. I, you know, this was 40 years ago now, and Tom is still with me. He actually died last year, mm-hmm. um, which was very sad for me. But he, he had an incredible impact on my, my sense of self, my well-being. I mean, he let me know that, that I was okay. And he helped me navigate some really complicated feelings about who I was as a person, about my relationship with my my mom and my dad. Um, and so I began um, in my late 20s, you know, along with therapy, taking medicine to help with this biological piece in my brain around depression. And I've been taking medicine all you know over the past 30 years for that and so i think i've mostly managed it pretty well i mean i certainly have bouts of feeling down mm-hmm. and and i've had since tom being in therapy with tom i've had other therapists which have been also helpful you know you know you you go down your your path in your 30s and 40s and 50s i'm 62 now and so it there are times when it's like oh yeah i think i need to get back into this. I need to talk to somebody. You need a tune-up, right? You need a tune-up. 
You need a tune-up. Who doesn't need a tune-up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. But like when I first went to counseling, it's it's not always a good match. No, it isn't. <clears throat> you know, it's it's two human beings in a room yes. in a very intimate setting. Yes. And some people just yeah can drive well, you well, crazy my, uh, or like yes. not get you yes. or you don't get them. Yeah. And there's or what's that? You just don't click. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely need to click with someone. You need to, you need to, when you sit with them, you need to feel 100% safe, emotionally safe. And you need to feel like they like you. You know that, you know, when you meet someone like, you know, when we, so I met your husband first, Michael Mm -hmm. and he, oh my gosh, he would talk about you. Right. He's very proud of you. And it's Mm. just, it's, it's an interesting dynamic when you're learning about someone that you still haven't met. Because you begin formulating ideas or impressions. And I've always played that game that I try to imagine what someone physically looks like before I see them for the first time. I, I used to do that when I was in sales. So, and so what happened when you met me? Did it fit your, your preconceived ideas? Now I'm trying to think, did, was the first time that we met here for dinner or was it in the store? I think it was in the store. You came in I by came yourself. In. <clears throat> I... Well, and of course it was during that crazy busy season. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know what I'm getting at is like when you meet someone for the first time, whether you know of them or not, there is that instance that you either like them, you don't, or you feel indifferent. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like it's that chemistry that whether it's, it's an associate, a friend, a colleague, or someone that you think is hot. Like there's just that moment <laughs> that it's each other, magic, didn't, didn't right? We? Yeah. We, well, yes, we both I had knew. big smiles. I remember the, the smile you had. I felt very comfortable instantly with you. Like That's I awesome. just, I think that for me, there's a feeling of, um, I don't know, this sounds kind of hokey, but authenticity. Is this mm. person... Mm. Is this can, person real? Yeah. And when we meet someone like that, we feel like we can be ourselves, right? Instantly. Yeah. You can just start saying stupid we, shit. Yes. And whoever we are, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because you know that person, it's not about what they think of you, hmm. is they want to get to know you because they're interested. They're curious. They're curious. It's yeah. not about <clears throat> whether or not they're going to put all of themselves first. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like a, it's a dance, right? Like you do a step, I'll do a step. And um, I felt that way both with yourself that first time. And then the second time physically was when you came to dinner Mm -hmm. with Michael and we had a small dinner party here. Mm -hmm. And then. And you were so lovely. You generous. (laughs) You gave us gifts. I gave you you gifts at Christmas time. I'm like, who does this? You're amazing. So kind and generous. Like who wouldn't love you? Oh my gosh, there are a lot of people, but (laughs) but I think with counseling, um, I think for me, when, when you're not feeling, when you have that feeling that you just don't feel right, you just, you're not fitting in, you, your, your skin feels uncomfortable Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's a big push to get counseling or a big push to get medication or a big push to stuff your feelings, or at least my perspective. It was always, you don't share your feelings. You don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
it's it's a journey. You almost like want that instant fix that mm-hmm. like you're going to go to counseling and it's going to be a fit and it's going to work. Yeah. Well, I think, I, <clears throat> you know, you're, this is really interesting that you're talking about this because I do think there are some different parameters for men around therapy. I, I still think therapy is... Men are different than women. Yeah. And I still think, it, I think it's there's some taboo around you know, admitting to yourself that things aren't quite right or that, or that you might need help. What does it mean if you, if you're somebody who's asking for help, you're making yourself vulnerable. What does that mean about your, your masculine identity? Right. Do a lot of men, you know, openly talk about having gone to therapy or even considering like, I'm trying to think of who I know right now that's gone to therapy that wasn't marriage counseling or family sure. therapy. No. Those seem to be the acceptable. Yes, right. If you try to, to if you right, if you're trying to fix a relationship, trying to work on a relationship with someone, the two of you go to a therapist talk talk about couples you know, therapy. Couples therapy, yeah. I know very few men who I mean there are of course lots of men in therapy, but in my personal life, <clears throat> excuse me, I know very few men who were who were actually in therapy. And I'm ten years younger than you and I and grew, I grew up in rural New Hampshire. You grew up in rural Maine. Rural Maine. And therapy was not. No. The only thing I can remember is going to the guidance counselor. Yes. Or the nurse's office. Yes. It wasn't even the guidance counselor. It was the nurse's office. It was, yes. Yeah. Not that yeah. that was even really an yeah. option. Yeah. Well, and if, if you were somebody who did that, you were labeled as what? Crazy. Mm-hmm. Right or unstable, mm-hmm. and certainly, I mean, I never ever heard about men going to therapy growing up. That was just not something you did. You drank. That was your that was your medicine. Was it even portrayed on TV back then? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Right. So Kramer versus Kramer is my first memory <laughs> of a therapist on TV. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, probably me too. With Dustin Hoffman, yeah. right? But it was marriage counseling. Yes. So you said that I brought up a point that therapy is different for men, like, or what did we just say? Well, I think, I think the the whole notion of being vulnerable and asking for help is different for not all men. Mm -hmm. I know know we're we're sort of using some broad brushstrokes today about, you know, gender, but um, I think in general, the culture, there is not a lot of support for men who, who want to say, yep, this isn't working right now. I'm not in a good place. I, I need to get some help. I, I think I think that is still taboo. Um, and, you, you know, the, there's, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to happen for, for all of us in the culture around helping men feel okay about saying, I'm not okay, right? And, and the idea that um, I think... You know, when we think about masculinity, we think about being stoic, traditional masculinity, being stoic, be you know, keeping your emotions inside, not letting things affect you, being brave, right? And one of the one of the things that I think is important to think about is reframing courage for men, and realizing that when you are willing to admit that things aren't quite right, when you're willing to admit that 
um, maybe you need some help or asking for help, that that is a courageous moment for you, right? Because you are... Well, that's actually healthy, isn't it? It's like, very healthy. Yeah. To, to know that we're constantly evolving as, as human beings. Yeah. Collectively and individually. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But... Instead of being damaged, instead of being labeled damaged, damaged, yeah. right? Yes. yes. What about crying as a young boy in your family? Oh. Were you allowed to cry? And at what age or to how long? You know, I, I certainly cried as a boy and I don't remember getting too many messages about not crying. Um, I do remember the first time I saw my father cry. And it was only once when his when his dad died, when my grandfather died, he he cried for a few moments. And I, you know, I was a teenager at the time, and I can remember thinking, "Oh, this must be really big." Did it scare you? I don't think it scared me, but I I understood that this was a big moment. This was an important moment for him because I never saw that. Mm-hmm. So for him to exhibit this kind of vulnerability in front of others, right? It wasn't like he was crying up by himself because I wouldn't have seen that. But he was openly crying with, you know, I was there, my mother was there, my siblings were there. You know, we I think we all like knew that this was a significant moment because he, he was being vulnerable. It was lovely actually to to see that my dad could could feel. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, but he Alcoholism is such an ugly disease because it really kind of warps your sense of um, what's real. What what kind of alcoholic was your dad? Um, He was, he was actually, I think, inherently a really nice guy. And he would drink mostly on the weekends and would come home and, you know. So drink away from the house. He wasn't... um, he would drink away from the house, but he would also drink at the house. Mm-hmm. You know, he would he would have his his male friends over, and they would they would drink. You know, that was sort of their pastime drinking. It was their way of socializing. So social. Yeah, and I, you know, when I worked at UNH, I, I, we saw that all the time with with college men learning how to socialize, learning how to, and lots of times it's a way to, mm-hmm. to manage anxiety, right? If you're anxious in a particular moment, alcohol kind of lowers your inhibitions and kind of lets you be part of the crowd. And, you know, I, I, I saw that over and over and over again, that young men were learning how to, <coughs> it was a way that young men were learning how to cope with being in the world was to drink. And so I, I think it's a pretty insidious cultural artifact that we all deal with? I think for me, the first alcoholism, the first thing that I, I was told in my early twenties that my father was a dry drunk. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, sure. So someone that exhibits all of the behaviors of an alcoholic without drinking. Like my dad would get really, really drunk maybe once or twice a year. He had zero tolerance. And what what would happen? Uh, well, and that's why I asked you what type of al- alcoholic was your dad? Because I think for all of us, alcoholism means very different things. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of rage mm-hmm. and 
um, physical and emotional abuse connected to me with alcoholism. Sure. And then, you know, with my co-host, and he talks about it a lot, alcoholism to him was self, not him doing it, but his fiance was self-medication, but it was, it wasn't transparent. Like, uh, you know, some people hide that they're drinking yes, to medicate. Yes, yes, yes. So they're, so obviously I'm guessing that they're able to, they have a higher tolerance or they built up a higher tolerance. So they don't, my dad, if he drank, he, you knew he was drunk hmm. after one drink. Oh, uh, yeah. My, well, my dad could drink a lot and he would often be drunk. And what would happen during those times, you know, some, I remember one of the classic things we had, a we had a phone on the wall, a phone that like was attached to the wall mm-hmm. and you would pull the phone out of, out of the wall. The whole thing. The whole thing. As a, I don't know what, as an act of. Machismo? Machismo, rebellion, if you want to try to talk to somebody. Did he punch holes in the walls? Did he do things like, like, was he untethered in his rage or? Um, I, untethered is a, that's an interesting word. I, I don't know if he was untethered. I, I, I guess when I think about, for me, the fallout from that, from alcoholism, is I, I, I think very early on, I didn't learn to trust what I felt because we, we would all experience his drinking like on a Friday night and mm-hmm. he, you know, he and my mother would fight. I'd never would sort of know what would happen. And then the next day, everyone would pretend like everything was fine. Mm-hmm. So there's never any kind of, um, because the fighting was normal. The fighting was normal. Right. That's, that's yeah. a hard thing when you grow up in a household of fighting and then do you remember this, like starting to date or starting to have relationships outside of your home? It's almost like you're faking it. You're faking normal because there's something inside of you that says, well, I'm not going to scream at this person, right? Yeah, yeah. Things aren't going yeah. the way that I expect them yeah. to or want them to, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I certainly, I mean, my, my parents stayed married My actually, my father actually died at 73 from um, heart congestive failure related to alcoholism. So, so his drinking, and he ended up stopping drinking later in life, but his the cumulative effect on his life was that alcohol killed him. And so I, I think that happens for lots of men. Um, the, Do you think women too? Is that, And that's, I don't know, is that alcoholism, is it more prevalent in men than women? Do you? Uh, I don't. I don't know the facts about that. My my anecdotally, I would say yes, because of because of what I s- sort of seen mm-hmm. in my life that that men use alcohol. As so a, in your story, yeah, it's about men. Yeah, men medicate with alcohol, and so in your story, in, right? Yeah, like, because I'm thinking now. I think I, I'm thinking about through my life. It's been both. Yeah. Okay. If I include family, friends, colleagues, people I know through people. Yeah. But that's interesting, right? But if, how do we swing that back to talking about men's health? That it's just, alcohol is just doesn't hold a bias, right? Like, doesn't care. It doesn't care. Doesn't care who you are, how old you are, if you're a man or a woman, what you look like, where you were born. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, if you're rich or poor. Yeah. Very insidious disease. 
And, it, you know, its impact on families is lifelong, I think. Generational, you know, I would generational, say. Generational, absolutely. I mean, we, I have a twin brother and an older sister. I met your twin brother. That yes, kind of threw I, me for a tailspin. Yeah, I have a wonderful twin brother, Paul. He's he's one of my best buds. He came into the That's store, right. and it was. It was That's right. Did I tell you this? And it right. was right after I had met you, <laughs> and I because you you have a very unique look, and that you're you're tall, dark, and handsome, but you're very tall, and so you don't blend into the crowd, and you know, your twin brother doesn't either. And so I met you once. I only have that experience of meeting you briefly in the store. And then I think he came in right after that. He did. And I remember doing a double take because I didn't want to be embarrassed that I didn't acknowledge you. Oh, yeah. But there was just something that I was uncertain that it really was you. He remembers that conversation you have that impact on people that you had a lovely conversation you asked him about his life and his, his own art right he's an artist you you're you're both artists and to me that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah we've we found our creative way i can remember as a little boy you know wondering about art and wanting to be an artist but that was not ever on the no, it's not talked about. No, it was, <laughs> one of not, the many things we so didn't talk about. So being gay was not talked about. Being an artist was not talked about. Mm. Were there... We were... I mean, our family was, was pretty much blue collar. Where's was, your birth order, order for you and your brother? We are... Well, well I was born first. <laughs> That's important so, for twins, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I sort of think... I, so I paved the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and my sisters... Our sister's older, so... Yeah. So... How many siblings came before you and Paul? Just one. Just one. So yeah. you're the oldest males. Yeah. The eldest males. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I haven't really thought about too much about, oh, yeah, I'm the oldest male. I should. I should but do you have brothers that. other than your twin? Mm-hmm. So there's six of you, two boys and four girls. Two, uh, two. There were six in the in the family, so just three kids. Oh, just three kids. Three kids. Okay. My mom and dad, and then my mother's mother, grandmother. I, I, you know, she was. Part so of the when family. you say a family of six, you include your parents my, and your grandmother. Yes. That's very sweet. Do you think that impacted you growing up with your grandmother in the house? Yes, profoundly. She. <laughs> well, like, she you was, look like a deer in headlights. Oh my gosh! What did I just? I, stumble I don't think on? I was expecting to talk about her. She was. She was, um, you know, my mom worked full time. So we'd come home from school. She was your mom. She was our mom. She had snacks for us when we came home. She cuddled us. She took care of things at home. She did, you know, she cooked the meals. She did the laundry. She made the beds. Was she your mom's, your maternal grandmother or your paternal? Maternal. Because I think that makes a difference sometimes. Yeah. Well, they had a, a tough relationship. It was um, tension, tension there. So, but my grandmother was, you know, she was a person who, who mothered me pretty much. Well, my mom was, you know, at work. She was, a, she was a good soul. She, um, she died when I was in my early twenties. So it's like losing a parent. It was like losing a parent. Yeah. And then my my paternal grandmother. I also loved. She 
lived in South Berwick, Maine, in the same house for what? Yeah, for eighty years. Last name Welch. Welch. Yeah. So yeah. I went to high school with someone with the last name Welch. Now I'm just wondering. <laughs> who would that be? I wonder. A young, redheaded, fiery girl. Oh. oh gosh, well that pretty much gives it away. I don't know if she lives there. Jenny Welch. Mm. Does that sound familiar? No. <laughs> uh-huh. It's just funny. But yeah. so to kind of swing back around to men's health. Yeah. How how did you well were you and your brother in tune to one enough in tune to each other enough to know that when one was feeling good? Did you kind of have that awareness of how each other was feeling well, in the 60s as twins? Yeah, or? we were, you know, I think we were pretty good friends then. We um, we shared a space, a, a very small bedroom, two twin beds. So that was pretty much what was it in that bedroom. So we we had to navigate that small space together. We were in the same classes through all through school. We, we pretty much had similar interests in high school. So we were, we were both did well in high school and I think it was expected that we were going to go into college. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that wasn't given back then. No, no. College wasn't, wasn't the <clears throat> only choice like no. it is for kids now. It yeah. seems like. No, it was um, for that time and being living in a small town in Maine, it was a, a small cohort of, you know, the, the class was small. It was probably 80 students and probably 10 or 15 of us went to college. Which actually that's not, that's, I feel like that's a good number for back then. Yeah. And then, so did you have down days in high school? Did you guys talk about that or um, you were um, having challenges? Well, we both slept a lot. You know, I can remember on the weekends, Staying in bed until eleven, maybe that was. I think all kids do that. (laughs) No, like my kids do that or did that, still do that. Yes. I don't know if that was part of my early depression or not, or maybe it was just part of being an adolescent. But we were you're growing so fast, right? Like everything's growing. Yeah. And I, you know, I was um, in high school. I dated. I had a girlfriend. Dated a girlfriend a girl for a couple of years in college. I had a girlfriend. And so began understanding that there was something else going on for me more clearly in college when I met my first gay person, Jeff. Your first gay person ever, ever. that you know of. That I know of. Yeah. That's right. Really, that's because really it's important. not, I'm sure <laughs> you, you might have of. met other. <laughs> what it like, and they were open and you weren't or. Well, they, yes, they were open and I wasn't open open because I wasn't sure. I mean, I was sort of still exploring that. Did they know you were gay? No. No. And they didn't make... No. He. I mean, but he came out to me and that was really a good thing for me. Like, okay, I'm meeting this other gay person who's comfortable in his skin, right? And that, for me, that was like, okay, that gave me a little bit more permission to say, okay, maybe this is also going on for me. And Courage. Know, Courage. Courage to wonder. Courage to wonder. Courage to be truthful with who you are, right? Courage to say this is this is who I am. And you know, even though the world around me says that this is wrong or you know, whatever. 
This was the 19th. This was the early 80s. And so what I else? I remember was, horrific things happening in the news. T- totally. Do you like, I and don't, this, oh. Well, it was also the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming out and then there's all this uh, rhetoric around, okay, if you're gay, you're going to get HIV and die. And remember so that, the little boy that had AIDS and they made the TV movie about him? What's his name? You know, I do know. Ryan, was it Ryan? Ryan something? Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, that, it, yeah, that opened it up, right? To say, okay, this can this can happen to anybody. But growing up, and I'm just trying to understand what it must have felt like for you, because growing up, liter in Spofford, New Hampshire, like it was a village of three thousand people, mm-hmm. I think, like an all blue collar. Yeah. And um, very sheltered. Yeah. Um, and I remember a friend of mine wondering out loud if they were, but I'm not. But I don't know, like, if we even knew what it was. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sure. It was if almost you, like that ignorance of if, like if you knew what gay was, or if you knew, yeah, yeah like, yeah. Um, I I think back then I think. What would it was? There was this shock game back then that, like, you I don't know where we heard these words because honestly, we had the Encyclopedia Britannica that we would go to try to find, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say nudies, but like <laughs> pictures of things that we thought we probably shouldn't be looking sure, at. Sure, curious, being curious. And like, I remember like some of my friends just saying these words and well, trying to act like. They were all knowing, but they're... Do you remember some of the words? I remember one of the words, and I'm very embarrassed. <laughs> and it was in middle school, and I remember hearing the word masturbate oh, yeah. for the first time in middle school. Yeah. And my friend just dropping it into a sentence, and I'm, I'm convinced now she didn't know what it was. <laughs> but she had, I don't know, right? Like, But I feel like growing up in a sheltered small town, is like the information we got was so filtered definitely and contrived and definitely. like well some, you couldn't go anywhere to con- no, we didn't have no, the internet you no, couldn't was, go anywhere right. to confirm that's or deny right. something and try to just try to explain pretty so you go to the playground where the older kids <laughs> hang out you go to the grange hall right what does this word mean the swing set yeah yeah the 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 encyclopedias we had we had a set of those like maybe I remember going to the encyclopedia set and looking up gay Uh or, and it said happy. I happy. Sure. Happy. And then I remember looking up and I don't want to offend you, but this is, this is my story. This really happened. I remember looking up fag because someone had used it in a, in a horrible way on the bus. Yeah. And Back then on the bus was kindergarten through eighth grade because it was all taking place in one school mm-hmm. and it was a long bus ride. And I remember looking that word up and it said a bundle of sticks. Yes. And I, and I could not understand why he was hurling this insult at this other kid, calling him a bundle of sticks. Like I didn't know. Yeah. What, you know, I found and, out. And, and when did you, when did you learn what that word meant? Do you remember? I think I think it was middle school. Yeah. Like Somebody you make that cross is... from the annex 
through the cafeteria into the wing and you're suddenly into the land of middle schoolers with sixth, yes. seventh, and eighth. Yes. And it's a whole different world. Yes. Yeah. So, so hurling that epithet out into the world fag was when I growing up for me, very common. <clears throat> People use that word all the time. Gay and, gay and fag was used all the I, time. I think this was even pre gay. For you, like gay was big when I was in middle, but yeah. it wasn't hurled at, it was hurled at everybody. <laughs> yes. It was hurled, it didn't, it had like, um, like this huge well, umbrella. I can't even think of the word we would say well, now. Well, yes. And recently that's so gay is a, is a phrase that's been used in middle and high school, meaning that's, that's what it was. That's yes, so gay. That's so, that's weird or that's bad or that's strange or, you know. And like, I don't know. I'm not saying that none of the kids, that there weren't any of the kids that were using it in the connotation of someone's not heterosexual, right? Someone's homosexual. So they're not part of the norm, you know, mm-hmm. in quotes, the norm. Mm-hmm. So that's when, we, when I heard that phrase being hurled, I just took it as something that wasn't cool. Right. And it's like. Well, when, when I was growing up, fag was people use that. It was it's a cigarette, it, right? <laughs> well, it was also <laughs> like a cigarette. That, that was... If you're British, it's a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> but what was it when you were growing? Well, it and was. Were you aware of it? Yeah, it was it boys. Meant. It was boys. And hurled. you know what they were. You knew what yes, they were saying. Absolutely, you're a fag. You're, you know, you're feminine. You're feminine. You're an outcast. You're, you're weird. You're you're not part of the wussy. Wussy. You know, you're in some ways they were saying you're like a girl. Yes, right? right. Like if and and so it's really important for us to to look at that a little bit. Like what's the worst thing that you can do with even today for a boy is calling oh oh stop acting like a girl, don't cry. And so that says that there's something Or don't wrong, be gay. Or don't be gay. But it says there's something wrong with being a girl. Or being right. gay. Or being gay. Do you know that? So your Michael's on the phone. Your husband, mm-hmm. Michael, who mm-hmm. I, he's become almost like a brother to me. Oh, he has become a brother. That's wonderful. And wonderful. so, but he kept showing up at the store. Out of the blue, he fell from the sky. You, you and your husband have like dropped from the sky into my life and have become an. A very important part of my life. So thank you. Quickly, right? Like mutual, very mutual. Since December, yeah. And we're in so, January, so <laughs> a month later. No, so I think he met you in November. He brought yes. his cranes over. His cranes, yeah. because he had he. We wrote him a check in November because he right. sold the cranes had taken off. And I had said you need a business plan for this project, and that was the next day. Yes, he went that over was and met you. You, you both had had some words about what the cranes were doing. So the cranes are origami cranes, yes, paper cranes that he just started folding for for a reason. Yes, and they've just they've become their own. They they have become their own entity, symbolic of something really beautiful. And yeah. now a movement almost mm-hmm. on the sea chest. Mm-hmm. He has birthed life into something that's been done thousands and millions of yes. times for thousands of years. And yes. he's created a new way yes. of looking at cranes. Yes. I have some in my window. Yes, a chain beautiful. of cranes. Yeah, you have the uh, 
Oh, this one he designed for me. These are the chakras. The These chakras, are the energy yes. crayons. Yeah, beautiful. But so yeah. in the store, I'm just saying, I'm the first one to admit, I, I don't have life down. Life is complicated and difficult for me some days, like to navigate. So saying you're so gay, right? Like in middle school and it being become ingrained as something part of your language and Michael was doing something at the store and he said, he goes, you know, there's a word that I really have to work on not using anymore. And I'm not going to say it because it's his word. And I go, right. I go, there's a lot of words. You know what I used to say all the time? And he goes, don't, he puts his hand up and he goes, don't say it. And I go, well, you just said that word. He goes, don't say it. But in that moment, it became very real how powerful our words are, no matter who we are. Yes. And even if we have connotation or awareness of their power, they still sting. They still sting. And I like what you just said, because word, our sense of and meaning of words evolve over time. Like, for example, um, I, I I would never use this word ever. And I it's think, going to be the same word Michael was talking oh, about. I the N word. Oh, no, different word. Okay. So, yeah, I can't even go there because I don't have any experience, right? Yeah. With the with any perspective of that word. Growing up rural New Hampshire, the first person that I met that wasn't white was when I moved to Kittery Point. Mm. And that person became my first husband. Wow. That's crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. So you you had a firsthand experience of what it was like to have a to talk to someone that who wasn't white. Yeah. How crazy is yeah, that? Yeah, and all those all the social milieu around having a different level of melanin in your skin, right? And what how that it? impacts every aspect of your life. Yeah. I would actually like to see the F word become the F word because I I still think that people use fag. And I'd like to see that word evolve to a place of we can't use that word anymore because it's Oh, so right? wait, so can we use the FU word? No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that's we say that a lot yeah. in this house. Yeah, good. That, well, I yeah. Think, I think I read actually somewhere that um, research about using swear words can be um, emotionally beneficial. Can be healthy if you you know if you if you swear on occasion, not certainly not if you use swear. Some words. people some people say that it's a sign of intellect. Oh, <laughs> like, really? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. It depends yeah. who's saying it, right? Yeah, yeah. But the F word, so the F A G word. Yes. You right. like to see it rise to. A... Yes, I'd like to see it rise culturally. What are five words you'd like to see? Well, the F word. Yeah, the G certainly. word. No. No, gay. You know, gay is a. I think a, a word that's that's pretty positive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's interesting. We haven't used the word queer yet, which is a word that um, lots of younger people whose sexual orientation or gender identity is outside the norm. They're, they're, they're using that word as sort of an all-encompassing word to describe their. Well, there's a TV show with the word queer in it. Sure. That's beloved. Yes. Right. So the word, I think the word is 
is more beloved now when i was growing up that you're was, so queer that was your queer was was not a very was not, not a very nice word so so i i have that lingering inside of me right like mm-hmm. you, know. you know what's interesting about men's health and like all of this for a large part of my life i was um mistaken for a boy or alluded to that I was a boy. Um, And then when I was traveling in my early twenties, I would wear suits and I had a pixie haircut. So it's really short. Yeah. And I have very broad shoulders. So I would often in airports, if someone was in line behind me and needed something or would tap me on the shoulder and say, excuse me, sir. And I, yeah. And it's not that being a man or being masculine is bad, but I always took it as I wasn't feminine enough. Mm. I wasn't what I was somehow. <laughs> is this really what we're talking about? Yeah. That you're really, you're not what you're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, right. There are all these, um, so we, in, in the I teach a class at UNH on exploring gender and masculinity, and we talk about the social construction of gender. Mm-hmm. So you, what you're talking about is you weren't fitting into the, the society's ideas about what a female should physically be like and look like, right? You were at that time sort of outside that norm. Your hair was short, it burned shoulders. You were mistaken, right, from a, another person mistaking you for as a, as a male. And so... That's that's a really interesting experience to have, isn't but it? But is that coming from because people have a hard time believing that when I tell them, and not that I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not attractive, but I'm not one that leans into beauty. Like I'm not one that. Just, I don't. All I'm saying is that I think in life it's hard enough to figure out who we are what's healthy for us mentally, physically, emotionally, just if we existed as ourselves without what the rest of the world or our families or our friends or people we don't even know think we should be. Isn't that a lovely ideal? It is. It's a lovely ideal to say, I'm going to be who I am uh, without any, uh, social constraints. Unfortunately, most of us have some social constraints. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dressed in pants and a. You look like a mainer. I look like a mainer. I look, uh, you, you have look, a thermal shirt on. And yeah. Dungaree. Dung, do we even say dungarees anymore? No. I do. Levi's. <laughs> bougie. You have bougie glasses on, though. You like the thing about you is that you do have that mainer appearance. Hmm. But there's always, like, I've noticed there's one thing that kind of, like, raises the bar just a little <laughs> bit with you, whether it's Is your it glasses today, your, it's your glasses today, oh, or, oh. which I, like, I, I love that. Thank you. I don't know what this has to do with men's health. Well, I'm just, you know, thinking You're about, free to be you. What was that, to- like, those cartoons on Saturday mornings, free to be? Okay, so I want, can I tell you a little bit about free to be? Because I think there was a point in my life where I thought, you know what? I am who I am. And if other people don't like it, can I say this? They can go fuck themselves? You can say fuck it. <laughs> Did you get to that point? Like yeah. You can say, honestly, 
you got to that point where you have that certainty that people can go fuck themselves if they don't like you. Absolutely. How free is that? Very, I don't very, know if very, I've gotten there. And do men get there quicker than women on a whole? Oh, I, what, what an interesting question. Probably, you know, certainly as a, as a white male in the culture, I have, I'm being tall, I have some privileges already sort of I see in. a lot of men with that attitude, go fuck yourself if you don't like it. Hmm. Right? Well, I'm hoping that like mine just in is, traffic. Well, I hope mine isn't. <laughs> mine, I hope mine isn't arrogance or hubris. You know, I hope. That what does hubris mean? That's hubris a great word. Means uh, arrogance with with attitude. So I hope it's not. I hope it's for me. It's just I, I'm going to be bravado. Is that hubris? Sure, um, sure. Yeah, it's but it's about um, for me. It's just about being who I am as a. As a man, as a sensitive man, I consider myself a soft man. I don't have very thick skin. Um, I, I, I really want to cherish those things, despite the fact that the culture all around me, pressing against me, is saying I should be something else. Right? You should be. You should be t- more tough. You should be more. You know, keep your emotions to yourself. Why do you think it's so very difficult for some of us? to not only keep the space that's ours, but also not give it away freely to other people's beliefs and ideas. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So this this is my space in the world. This two feet in front of me, sometimes it extends to three feet. Everyone, some people have like a six inch bubble, right? Sure. But like this space around me is mine to exist. And I, I can guard that space, I can wall it up, or I can freely give it away. And I feel like, I wonder why, so someone, someone not openly admitting who they are, or someone trying to portray that they are something they're not, for whatever reason, they're not honoring that space that's theirs sure. to be who they are. Sure. To coexist. I guess it's a question of why is it that we don't, we're so quick not to allow ourselves and others to coexist just as we are. Mm. Yeah, to kind of gently bump up against each other. Or well, I think you're also talking about having healthy boundaries. Yeah. Right? And so... I think for, for I yeah. So how how do we get to that place that we have healthy boundaries and that that we know that that space around us is so secure that regardless of whoever I'm dating, whatever my children are doing, my other family, mm-hmm. if I'm secure in my space and knowing that that's my space to manage, it doesn't matter what this person next to me is saying or doing. Sure, that doesn't take away from who I am. Do you know what I mean? So like. I think like in our circles or from my perspective, if I have very thin skin that if the person next to me is getting angry, then I somehow automatically feel it's something I've done. Mm. I can't allow their anger Mm. to just simply be what it is without it affecting how I feel about myself. Mm. You're like, what are you talking about? This is the stuff that just that's like a, that's a good, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to talk about in therapy. I think to figure out like having you f- podcast and writing to me, our therapy. <laughs> haven't you figured that out? Either? 
<laughs> I haven't been to a therapist since well, my twenties. Well, well, you are talking about boundaries, I think, and so I think for people who are survivors of some any kind of trauma, mm-hmm. I, I consider alcoholism a trauma, mm-hmm. and so we have to to figure out what those boundaries are because they oftentimes have been violated. And so as, as children, as adolescents, as young adults, we, we have to understand that we have to figure out what those, what our own sort of both physical and emotional boundaries are. And I think for, for me to understand, even though I understand that I have thin skin, I also understand that our boundaries are, um, What's the word? Pli- I'm thinking of pliable, but that's not the right Malleable? word. Malleable? No. Malleable. Malleable refers. Um, <clears throat> you flexible. Know, like our boundaries. The, the, yeah, our boundaries are and should be flexible, mm-hmm. but, you know, based on, you know. Who we're with, who what we're, we're with, doing, what, where we are. Yeah. But to have an understanding that that doesn't impact our sense of self. Right, I'm still, I'm still okay. Who would? Or does it? So you're talking about men's health and well-being. If men are expected to always be brave, strong, courageous in a way that their emotions are locked away, right? Mm-hmm. Then their boundaries are less pliable or less, in a way, right? They're, that's right. They're well, what society deems a. A good man, yeah. right? Like, because yeah. we know everyone's human, and everyone yeah. has moments where yeah. they don't live up to expectations, yeah, good or bad, yeah, right. And you're absolutely right. I think for, for and particularly around when we're, we're talking about some traditional ideas of masculinity, so being stoic, having to kind of be strong. We understand, that, you know, there's lots of research on around this that says that those kinds of ways of being in the world aren't generally very good for men or the people around them. Because we know there's a lot that's kind of bubbling inside that isn't being um, addressed, right? Or, or is addressed in, in some unhealthy ways through, you know, medicating through alcohol or sex addiction or anger, or, you know, whatever. And so um, this kind of brings us back to, to the importance of men understanding that they have uh, interior lives, emotional interior lives that that is important to to um, bring to the surface, right? To, to celebrate, even though some sometimes those feelings. Well, are emotions considered feminine? Yeah. So yes, they are. I feel as though society as a whole is becoming more accepting that we each as individuals, it's okay for us to have masculine energy and feminine energy. And not only is it okay, but it's actually healthier to have balanced Hmm. energies Hmm. that they're, you know, like the yin and the yang, Mm -hmm. that you should have both. Mm -hmm. There's a time to, yeah, Yeah. there's a time to be strong. There's a time to be nurturing. There's a time to be self-reflective. There's a time to be brutally honest. Yeah. And I think that. It's der- it's very difficult for a lot of us to think that we can encapsulate all of those things in our in ourself and that that's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my gosh, I got angry. Like I got really angry last month. Really angry. The angriest I've gotten in a long time in public. And I was like, oh my God, that's bad. Right? So it's almost the opposite. It's bad. 
for a woman well, to get hangry. Absolutely. She's a B. Right. She's right. I'd like the B word to go away. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's like her, the W word, word became yeah. the B word. Yeah. You're a witch, now you're a bitch. Yeah. Right? Okay, can I can I share a word with you that is I think one of the oh most Oh my gosh, big... look at your paperwork that you came prepared <laughs> with. I feel like we have yeah. to like use this. Well, we haven't really talked about most of it, but that's okay. <laughs> we, we should. How long? Okay, so we know the word. Uh, one of uh, you had asked before about words that we want to erase. This is actually a word that I want to celebrate. I want the world to know. So that sounded like a song. I want the world <laughs> to know. <laughs> so we know the word misogyny, right? You know what that misogyny means. Well, tell me what you think it means. It means the the literal meaning is the hatred of women. And so... I did not know that. Yes. And so misogyny, we see misogyny a lot in our culture or in any sexist culture when the male is considered, uh, you know, dominant or superior. We see that in how women are treated. We see that. So that's like, I always thought that... Not that they hated women, but they saw women as subordinates. Inferior. Inferior, yeah. Okay. But it's hate. Is it hate? The literal meaning is hate. Yep. So you'd like to, what would you like to do with this word? Well, Celebrate it? Is that what you said? No, 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 no. No, I don't want to celebrate that word. But when I I began teaching at UNH, I I teach in the Women's and Gender Studies uh, department there. We talked a lot about misogyny, of course. And I kept thinking, you know, what is the what is the antonym of what's the opposite of misogyny? And sure enough, I did a, a little research. What is it? <laughs> you ready? Yes. No, seriously, do I know this word? You, you probably don't. Oh, okay. Um, I, I've met very few people who know this word. The word is phylogeny. P h i l o g y n y. So the opposite of misogyny. Yes. Fondness, love, or admiration towards women. And I have yet to come into, you know, when I speak to friends or or I speak to groups at UNH, I have come, I have yet to come to anyone who's known this word. I've never heard that word. Yeah. yeah. And so the first thing that I hope happens is that we should say, why do I not know this word? Right? We, We should, I think we should get pissed off. Why, why, you know, and all the words that we could know, why don't we know this word? It's really an important word. I know why. This is where I become yes. like the youngest child. This yes. is where yeah. I'm like, why, why do you think we don't This know, is where don't... David usually rolls his eyes. <laughs> so if you go back to the Council of the Nicenes, what did they do? They took out all of the books in the Bible about women. Mm. Women were taken out of the story as being held in admiration or importance or something to look up to gone took them out that's why it's horrific it was it it is what it is right like how many years ago was that yeah and how well it's it's happened over and over and over with different groups of people since Mm -hmm. time began Mm -hmm. we're just going to erase this group of people as holding any importance Or any value in our story. And if in his story. In his story. In his story, women have little or no importance. And you know, 
David will get frustrated when I say, he goes, well, it was traditional roles were that the men did this and the women did this. And I go, no, that's bullshit. The women were doing it all along. They just weren't given credit or they were working under pseudonyms so they wouldn't suffer repercussions. So we are still writing his story. Yes, that's right. We are. Are we? Well, I, I don't think know. We are. You know, if I, I think words create worlds. Do we have a woman vice president? We do. We do. We do. Yes, we do. <laughs> That's how much I listen to politics yes, we do. now. Yes, we do. That's a really good thing. Um, we need to get going. We we need to. Why is it that other countries have had women presidents? <laughs> And the the leader of the free world. This is I think this is beyond the scope of my, my <laughs> look at today. how like no, this is how like ego works, right? The topic is men's health and Jen brings it back to like women. So you're right. That's another day. Yeah. So if we come back to this word, phylogeny. Oh, you brought this up. You're responsible for the diversion, phylogeny. You have to but you have to take credit. I will take credit for the diversion. Okay, go yeah. back to that. <laughs> Um, if we figure out how we can embody this word, right? How can we each embody this word? And for me, I mean, there are lots of things I can do or do as a man that supports the lives of women. Um, an example, when uh, after the 2016 election, I don't want to get too, too far into politics, but we went to the Women's March in Portsmouth. One of the marchers had a pink hat on. The pussy hat? Pussy hat. And yeah. she and Michael said, oh, I like your hat. And she, so this is part of the ethos of this organization. If someone, if you have a hat and someone speaks to you positively about it, you offer either your hat or a new hat. Yeah, you them. hand it over. Yeah. And so Did she Michael ha- wear it? Yeah, well, she happened to have an extra hat and she gave it to Michael. He's like, wow, that's so cool. So we left that event, and I thought, you know, this, I, I need to do something. So I ended up over the next two years knitting maybe 80 pussy hats. <laughs> no way I find that funny. I don't know. Funny? Why is that funny? I Can I say this without <laughs> – so I went to the um, Women's March in Boston with a great group of women. Yeah. And I never felt comfortable wearing that hat. I don't know why. I don't know. But anyways, so phylogeny means fondness, love of, or admiration towards women. Yeah. What's the word that means fondness, love, or admiration towards men? Philandry. Oh, you have it. Yeah. So I'm always about why does the pendulum have to swing so far before we can get to a a normal state of healthy Mm. until it comes back to the middle? Mm. Why? Why do we have to do that? If we're all intelligent beings, why do we have to swing the opposite force, amount of force, equal in force to the other side? Yes, I don't know. Why do we have to go to speaking about the admiration of women instead of just saying, we're all intelligent beings? Yes. Why can't we just go to the place that we admire everyone? Yes. And not saying you have to like them, but we respect (laughs) and admire each and every one of us. Well, can I tell you, uh, some of my greatest teachers in my life have been transgender people because they offer um, some of what you I think you just described. They offer 
something beyond the binary of male and female. They something offer something outside of that social construct of male and female. Uh, I mean, they, they, they have, I think, enormous uh, offerings to teach us about what it means to be a gendered person in the world and how, how they have found agency by, by some, I don't want to speak for a, a large, diverse group of pe- people, but my, my sense of the transgender people I know and love is that they, um, they're finding their way in a, in a very cumbersome environment. Where oh my gosh, they're often vilified. Vilified, because we are a culture that says, are you, are you this or are you that? Mark the the box, right? Like, uh, and then at the bottom of the list, what's your choice? That's right. Other, (laughs) right? Right? You're you're this, this, and this, or you're other. Yeah. And so there is a sense of I think claiming other for the transgender people that I know, claiming other in some very positive ways. I'm gonna I'm gonna be other. I'm gonna create new words to describe who I am and and what it means for me to be a gendered being in the world. Is it, but is that, I guess this is my point that, you know, that silly little saying that, why can't we all just get along? Like, why is it so important that we have this, like being in the state house, it was not about moving forward, compromising, collaboration, getting to a point that you can agree to agree. Mm -hmm. It was about proving that you're right. Everyone was there trying to prove that they were right and the other person was wrong. That's what it's become. You're That's wrong, the, I'm right. Yeah. So why why is it so difficult as a collective consciousness to get to the point where we just accept differences? And why is that so like sometimes people will use the word woke, which that word confuses me because there's a specific meaning for woke, and then there's a way that everyone's using it. Mm-hmm. But why why can't we? Like like they teach in preschool, in kindergarten, yeah. in circle. Yeah. We're all gonna listen to everybody. You might not like what everybody says, but everybody gets a chance to speak. And, and be heard. Yes, that's right. And, and be and heard. And be heard. But you don't have to like what they're saying. And everybody's voice has value. Yeah. Is that not true? Like you would think the way that our world reacts, humanity reacts at every turn, that that can't be true, right? Because we don't give value to every person. We don't. We don't. And, you know, when you were describing your experience at the state house, I thought, God, that just sounds like ego to me. That just sounds like. That they're focused on, on, I'm the person who's right, you know, listen to me, I'm the person who's right, rather than... Well, for me, it's pushing policy. Mm. You're pushing policy to get it through mm. and not considering that any piece of policy is going to have a positive and a negative effect. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm. Someone will be affected positively, someone will be affected negatively mm. on any piece of policy. Mm. So it's like... Your goal is to get that policy enacted because that's where the money is. Mm -hmm. So it's push it through. It's not about affecting the best 
legislation for everybody because that's not possible, right? How can you affect everybody in a positive way? Where it's so weird, we we recognize that we all have different needs, and we are all innately different. We know that intuitively, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way not to know that mm-hmm. with disagreement or not being able to come to terms with people in your lives, even in your own family. You can't get to a place that you can simply accept someone. All right. So, what's our social legislation? That, that would create um, equality among us where we each felt valued. I think it's back to, <laughs> I think it's, it's back, back to, to each, that space we each have. Sure. It's back to kindergarten, isn't it? You think about going back to kindergarten and realizing that there's so much that we learn through life that I think we have to unlearn. Someone, this is really fascinating and we're over an hour and that's up to you if you want to keep going. I don't know your schedule today, but someone said to me recently and it really caught me off guard. It was someone that I've known for a long time up. I know of them. They know of me. We've had brief interactions one-on-one, like over a span of 25 years, Mm -hmm. very different ideologies, philosophies, way about moving life. But yet, ironically, there are a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. Um, and we we came together in an intimate situation, a dinner party of six. And this individual said to me, they knew that I was in favor of red flag policy, right? So I think the assumption is, so red flag, if someone someone living in your home, you think they're unsafe to have a, a gun, then you oh. can you can go to law enforcement. Oh, I didn't know about that's this. the policy yeah. that I had co-sponsored and mm-hmm. trying to enact. But so people assume, I think, when you're in favor of that, that you're you're against all guns. Hmm. And I don't know that if that's not true with me or not. I'm not, I don't have a gun. Guns don't make me safe. I don't feel safe around guns. So this person said to me, they took me aside and um, said, you know, I have, I have guns in my house. Does that make you not like me? And I go, what? <laughs> and right. Like, so they're assuming sure. and I go, well, no. <laughs> and, and I said, did you bring a gun into my home? No. And I said, what, what would it matter to me? How many guns do you have in your home? I said, if it's more than one, does it really make a difference at that point? But I think we have this perception that because, you know, can we not sit down and have a have a conversation because I'm heterosexual and I'm female? You know what I mean? Those are two big differences. Sure. But somehow we're sitting down having a conversation and it's okay. Yeah. Well, I love the way you're thinking about this. Like, how do we embrace our differences despite the fact that that they might be on the surface seem like they might divide us, right? I don't know. Why do we always assume our differences are divisive? That sounds like a really good segue into your next podcast to me. (laughs) I do think. Do you want to come back? Sure. Um, But I think we are at an hour, and I know for me... We should wrap it. Yeah, let's wrap it.
Okay, this so is, you you wrap it up and say this, the summation. This, well, this has been delightful to talk to you. You're a really thoughtful, curious, lovely human. Oh, thank you. And I'm so grateful to know you. And I'm grateful to have the space to talk about this topic because I, I do think it's important still. I think we live in a world where, where men um, don't feel like they have lots of options. I actually wanted to talk about a couple of resources um, one of them is right actually in Maine. It's a resource called uh, Man, sorry, Maine Boys to Men. And it's maineboystomen.org. And their mission is to end all forms of male violence and self harm and to invent, advance gender e- equity by supporting the development of self awareness and empathy in boys and men. Right? It's a really good thing. It's to all good. Up. Yeah. There is also this. Um, the National Institute of Mental Health um, has this series called Real Men and Real Depression. So if there are men out there who are listening to this that might feel like they, they want to learn more about their own emotional health. They could go to this website and hear the stories of some men who have managed their successfully managed their depression. I think that's, I think that's a, I'm I'm very thankful for you, Peter. I I feel like it's been a gift, and I think it's a way for me to consider new things. Awesome. And also, me too. Yeah, me it's too. all good. Do you want to say those words? What was the word again? That phylogeny. P h i l o g y n y is the fondest love or admiration towards women. And then the admiration of men. Philandry. Philandry. Yeah. Those are good words. Let's, let's admire everyone. I did say to one of my trans friends recently that we need a, a new word that that encompasses the admiration for trans people. So I like your idea of what's the admiration of human beings? Wouldn't that be nice? We, we Can you, have... That's your homework. Okay. Let's, to see if there is a word of mankind. Humankind. Is, yeah. Let's find it. If we don't find it, we're going to make it. Let's, we're going to make it. Let's create it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank and um, we hope to have you on again. And yeah, thank it's you. been great. Thank you.